0: Hello, I'm Courtney Garrett, and this is the 101 Christianity Podcast. These messages accompany Discovering the Character of God, a 14-week Bible study I wrote on the attributes of God, which is available on Amazon. I pray this message will encourage you as you grow in your understanding of God's character. Okay, so I thought that this morning would be a good time for us to do just a little recap on where we've been, because we have two more meetings after today, and then we're going to have a break, and then we'll come back in January. And so I thought, let's talk about where we've been, because I've been intentional in this curriculum to try to build um, with, uh, with 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 putting pieces in place so that some of these things hopefully kind of come together in a fuller way um, as we kind of lay a foundation. So we started with the Trinity, the idea that God is three-in-one, his tri-unity, his three-in- oneness, and that that each member of the Trinity is a person, but they are all God. And so we talked about that and how we looked back through Scripture to see the places where the Trinity is mentioned. We looked at the creation account, that the Trinity was active there. We don't always think of Jesus being active in the in, the creation, in creation, but we see that and that the Spirit was hovering over the earth. So we saw all the ways that God has worked from the beginning um, for eternity, how the Trinity was there, and how the Trinity was active in your salvation in bringing you to him all members of the trinity active in that and he's active in your life today every member of the trinity from there we talked about god's holiness and we kind of painted the picture that god's holiness is in in some ways an umbrella attribute that all of his attributes are holy But the reason that he is holy is because he's completely distinct. He's so separate from us. He is unlike us because he is sinless and good and pure. And so the two aspects of his holiness, his majesty, and that he is distinct and separate, and then his moral purity and his goodness – And so those are the two aspects of his holiness. And then also that he calls us to live holy lives. And what does that look like for us to walk in holiness? Because, yes, we still struggle with sin, but that he's given us an ability to reflect him by walking in holiness. From there, we looked at God's justice last week. And so the the aspect that I focused on last week was God as a perfect righteous judge. He's a fair judge that oftentimes we think things are not fair. He is fair because he's good He's holy and he's righteous and so that God yes, he judges sin But he's also a merciful good loving God who gave us an ability to know him because he's a holy God who sent his holy son so that we could know him So that's where we've been. Now, if you felt a little confused this week because I mentioned in the study about how justice and righteousness are similar attributes, they're almost synonyms. If you look at some of the root words in the Greek and the Hebrew, they're very similar. So if you felt a little confused, like I'm kind of trying to put these things together, it's okay. We're going to hope to kind of work our way into a little bit more clarity today. But there's going to be overlap in some of these attributes. You're going to see how God's righteousness does overlap with some of his holiness and his justice. So if you're confused, just sit tight. Maybe we'll kind of untangle it, I hope. Okay, so here we are. We're in the middle of October in Houston, Texas, and we're ready for some cooler weather. And we are just ready for all things fall. We kind of Try to think of what it would be like if our leaves changed colors, because they really don't. Um, So you might put a fall wreath on your door that has changing colors that aren't real, but that helps us feel like we're in fall. Um, Pumpkins and all sorts of things like that. And then Halloween is around the corner. And before you think I'm going to be hating on Halloween, I'm not going to be doing that. I just... Amazon prime a ninja costume to our to our house and a Batman so we're going to be Halloweening and trick-or-treating and everything. but as we think about um, Halloween, the things that I don't like so much in recent years is all of the billboards around town. Um, they've just gotten increasingly sinister, like the haunted houses and the Halloween stores when you drive by and it's just just creeps me out. I don't like it. Um, But the thing that is most disturbing to me lately are all of the billboards that are advertising the the new movie, The Joker. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it is, I mean, I just kind of like, it, you know, because the clown face and, anyway, for those of you who don't know who the Joker is, it is, you know, the the villain in the Batman movies. And um, so they have decided to make a whole movie around the Joker. so I, I'm not going to see the movie, I don't plan to see the movie, I, um, but I read a couple of reviews, which I thought were interesting. One of them said, if violence is a natural product of a community that is learning to take pleasure from hatred, Joker affords us a glimpse of the coming apocalypse. That sounds good, Then it just wants to make you run to the movie. Okay, then the other one was, um, this one was really good. It's an affecting and upsetting experience, but that's the point. I mean, do you want an affecting and upsetting experience? That's not why I go to the movies. So, you know, and even when they did the premiere, there was this extra security so that that people would not feel like some of this violence might be like a copycat situation. I mean, just bad, right? Okay, what has happened? There is a culture-wide fascination with darkness and evil, isn't there? We've seen it for a while like the, the vampire movies and, and shows were real popular for a while and now we see the Joker being kind of celebrated or kind of uh, the culture shifting towards this glorification of the villain. So what has happened to right versus wrong and good versus evil? It seems that the lines are blurring more and more for our culture and entertainment is always a reflection of the culture. In music and in film, so we shouldn't really be surprised by that, um, because Second Timothy three says, um, paraphrasing: In the last days, people will become lovers of self, lovers of money, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, brutal, not loving good, not loving good. And then John three nineteen through twenty one sums it up when he says, "This is the verdict." Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So we see just darkness in our culture, don't we? So, what is right or wrong when the culture doesn't see anything as black and white anymore? As Christians, we don't have to wonder what is right. And that's a wonderful gift. Because God alone is right, and what he does is right, and therefore he is righteous. This means that his words are right, his law is right, his plans are right, his ways, all of his ways are right. So God is righteous. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to kind of break it up into two aspects. The fact that God is righteous and that Christ is our righteousness. So the two things I'm going to talk about today. So first, God is righteous. You all looked up that uh, some definitions or you saw a definition in your study this week. But just to kind of highlight that a little bit more. God is righteous. That means that he is free of sin and guilt. He is perfect. And he is the standard for all that is right. Righteousness is being right and also doing right. And so God is the absolute standard for what is good and right. In Isaiah 28, 17, we see that righteousness is referred to as a plumb line. This is my dad's favorite description of righteousness, and um, he's here today in the back. So, this is a shout out to my dad about the plumb line of righteousness. So, he's talked about it for so much of my life that I'm like, I'm gonna find out what the plumb line really is. So, I did a little study for you, Dad. A plumb line, since we're not carpenters, carpenters use this, but let me explain what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a cord with a weight attached to one end. And when it's dangled, when it's held freely, it creates a perfect vertical line because it uses gravity to be able to create perfection there. There's nothing that's going to waver as long as it's held steady. So a plumb line is an objective measuring tool. It doesn't change or move it just stays still and it shows you a direct perfect vertical line. It remains true and so when a carpenter is using it all the work must line up with the plumb line or risk it being crooked and it was interesting as I was doing this whole thought about the culture you know Philippians 2 talks about living in a crooked and in a, in a twisted generation that's kind of it's interesting so that was then and, this, and that's now too but back to the plumb line okay so here we are so a plumb line ensures that everything is right and justified and centered God is righteousness because he is the standard by which we are measured. He's our objective measuring tool. And God judges according to his standard. So his moral law is the plumb line. So how do we measure up against the plumb line? We're sinful. We have to talk about sin every time, don't we? We do. We have to have the good before the, you know, the bad before the good. So we're sinful. We are all fallen. We, went, we talked about what happened in the garden and how sin entered mankind. And so we have a sin problem, and there's nothing, nothing we can do to fix that. Isaiah 53.6 makes it very clear that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us to our own way. Isaiah 59.2 takes it further and says, Our iniquities have made a separation between ourselves and God, and our sins have hidden his face from us. So we might think, like I talked about last week, that we can do a lot of good. That that might make us righteous before holy God, the holy, righteous plumb line. But our righteous deeds cannot meet his righteous standards. The best we can do doesn't measure up to who God is. And so Isaiah 64, 6 even says, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. It does not measure up. Now it's interesting to note that every other world religion counts on some form of works mentality or good deeds to earn favor with God, whatever God that they are worshiping. Every other religion. Because they fail to look at our sinful nature. Because when we look at our sinful nature and realize that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, that is what moves us to look for a savior because nothing that we can do will measure up to God's standards. We cannot measure up. God is our righteous standard and we have all failed to meet that standard. I don't know if any of you all grew up with somebody who made a perfect score on their SAT. Um, I don't understand that. I mean does that mean that they didn't get one wrong? Is there a curve involved? I do not understand. Right? I mean. Surely there's a curve, like not one. I I think John's cousin made a perfect score on his SAT. I don't get that. None of us, all of our righteousness, cannot make a perfect score. Nobody, there's no curve either. So none of us can, can, can meet that righteous standard, God's righteous standard. Christ is the only one who could and did, and he meets God's standard of righteousness. So now, how is Christ our righteousness? If God is righteous and Christ became our righteousness, how, how is that? So yesterday, while I was about around noon, I was in a deep dive all in my head about Romans and Isaiah, and I just was kind of wound around the axle, and I finally was like, okay. I took a break, and I went to take a shower, and I'm like, Lord, why do we need to understand about Christ's righteousness? Because we could spend a whole series talking about this. There's a couple of things I want to point out. And the first is that we are justified freely because of Christ's righteousness. So justification, you read that in in your study this week, what justification is. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are legally declared just. We are justified. Not because of what we did, but because of accepting what Christ did on our behalf. Six months after our second son was born, um, Camp, Camp is adopted. Six months after he was, he was born, we went to the court. And we had um, a court appearance before a judge who declared Camp legally and officially a part of our family. His, his name changed. His identity changed. He is permanently a part of our family. When you trust in Christ for your salvation, you are legally, permanently a member of God's family. Nothing can change that. Camp will never have to go back to the courthouse and say, Is that true? Did I? Am I a part of the family? He never has to do that because it was, it's a once and for all. And ladies, it's so important that we understand that because justification is a one-time declaration. You don't have to continue to try to justify yourself again and again and again before the Father because we because Christ did it for us. It's a one-time thing. We don't have to earn our way, and that's such a gift. And so we weren't justified because we suddenly started doing a lot of good things or we tried, we'd stopped doing a lot of bad things. It's through justification that Christ's righteousness is imputed, is imputed to us. Now, imputed is a word we don't use very much, but it, was, it is totally given to us. You can't take it back. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which you know is it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No good works could give us Christ; could give us salvation. It's only Christ's righteousness, because he upheld the law perfectly. So secondly, what is it that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness? If you've ever heard of that idea that we are clothed in in his righteousness. I don't know if any of you all have a favorite robe, but I'm a robe person. I hope you are, too. If you're not, we need to talk. We, i got to get you. You don't have the right robe, because if you have the right robe, you become a robe person. I come from a long line of robe people, and, we have a, and I really have a variety of robes. But there's one robe that I really love, and it is a, a long, pink, fluffy robe. It's a Barefoot Dreams. And again, you need to get the right robe. We'll talk later. Barefoot dreams might be your favorite new thing. But anyway, I wear it. Um, it doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the summer, if it's the middle of the winter. I wear it. Um, and I sometimes, when it's cold in my house, I wear it over my clothes, which is a good look. Just, um, uh, But a robe in biblical times was a dress of state. Uh, it's like it's, It was like something of a dignified manner. It was like... Priests and judges and, and rulers and princes were. them. So I love it when Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. I love that visual because Christ's righteousness gives us a new identity. Because when God sees us, he sees Christ. If we, are, if we are saved, if we are one of His, we are in Christ, which means we have the righteousness of Christ. And we can live into this new identity. And so when we talk about walking in holiness and walking in righteousness, that is living into our new identity as being in Christ and clothed with His righteousness. And that is a part of our sanctification. So justification is this one-time event where you are declared righteous. Sanctification is us living this out for the rest of our life. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we don't always live according to God's righteous standard. There's no way. But we rely on Christ. And we remember our identity. And that is the Holy Spirit enables us to walk like Christ, more Christ-likeness. We're never gonna be perfect. That'll happen one day in heaven. But because we are in Christ, he gives us the ability to emulate who and what he is the more that we know him and know his word. So there are times when the enemy starts to tell you that you're, you're, you're not reflecting who Christ is. Go and put on your robe if you need to. Remember who you are in Christ. Put that robe on and think, you know what? That's right, I'm a sinner but guess what? I am clothed in Christ's righteousness, so I am totally acceptable to God. It is impossible for God to love you any more than he does today, and it's impossible for him to love you any less. There's nothing that we can do to create more of his and earn more of his favor, because when he sees us, he sees Christ. So the Pharisees missed this, didn't they? The Pharisees Decided they were going to try to live up to the 613 ish laws and to try to just measure up they wanted to make a perfect score all the time and What were they like? They're, they they looked the part they were shiny on the exterior, but their hearts were not soft towards the Lord so we we have to realize that we can sometimes default to that Pharisee mentality and try to do a lot of good things to earn God's favor. And again, we have to come back to Christ and what he did for us. Uh, more recently, one of the verses that has really kind of become a prayer to me is in Psalm 23 where it says that God leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And that has become a prayer of mine Um over and over again, just Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness, for for who, not for me, for Your namesake, and that can be your prayer too. As we think about righteousness, Lord, lead me in Your paths for Your namesake. And there's so many blessings that come from us trying to live into this new identity of being in Christ's righteousness. In Matthew five six, you hear that it says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." And then in Matthew, a little bit later, Matthew 6.33, a verse you're familiar with, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as we seek him, we live out more of what it looks like to reflect our righteous Savior. So this morning, are you resting in Christ's righteousness today? Are you resting in your new identity in Christ are you wearing that robe of righteousness? You are, you are wearing. Let me ask you this. Are you aware that you're clothed in, God's, in Christ's righteousness? Are you resting fully in who you are in him? Or are you trying to earn favor with God? Doing it our own way. Rest in Christ. There is freedom and peace there. There's joy there. It's the only way to live resting in who christ is what he did for us you are justified freely now let's live it out as we look to jesus the author and perfecter of our faith let's pray father i thank you for today i thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your words and lord's wor- the words justification and sanctification are, are big words and sometimes They're confusing. So Father, I pray that you would make it clear to us more than anything, Lord. I pray that these ladies understand that I would understand again what it means to be justified, not because of what we did, but because of the free gift of salvation through Jesus. And Father, would you help us to to know what it means in our in our process of sanctification, Lord, to, to look more like who you say we are? that we indeed have a new name, a new identity. It's, per, it's a permanent thing. And so would we. Would you enable us to reflect more of who you are um, by, by, by reading and understanding more of who you are in your word and as your Holy Spirit teaches us. Father, you're such a good God. We don't deserve your love. and um, But the, the amazing thing that your love does not change is so amazing to us, Lord. We thank you for it. And so now, Lord, as we discuss this in our our small groups, Lord, would you give us more insight so we can know more of what it means to be a daughter of the King, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about our resources, please visit 101christianity.com. And for more encouragement, you can follow along on Instagram at Courtney underscore Garrett underscore. Let's press on as we seek to know the truth and share the truth.